Hey everyone, this is Rod Gerardo from Cincinnati Children's, and before we get into this colorectal quiz episode, I wanted to let you know that whether you are watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Amazon Music, really the best way to get the colorectal quiz is on the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app. It's free, it's in the Apple App Store, it's in the Google Play Store. I tell you this because Dr. Levitt, Dr. Frischer, and their guests always talk about images, articles, guidelines, all sorts of stuff that we want to give you. We can give it to you on the app. You can click on it, read it while you're listening to the podcast. It's the best way to go. Download it today, but until then, enjoy the episode. It's been a while since we've done one of these. I forgot what you look like, Mark. Handsome as ever. Same same old me. (laughs) All right, let's get started. That was Dr. Mark Levitt from Children's National and Dr. Jason Frischer from Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Now, Dr. Levitt is a huge fan of the podcast Smartless. I mean, I listen to it too, but they always introduce the guests in kind of like a reveal fashion. So Dr. Levitt wanted to try that today. Let's see if you can guess who it is before he's done with the introduction. A special guest from the great city of Atlanta, Children's Hospital of Atlanta, in fact. She's one of the leaders of the um, consortium, the Pediatric Colorectal Learning Consortium, um, and has been very actively involved in the research mission of that fantastic organization, and a wonderful clinician herself. So we'd like to welcome Megan Durham to the colorectal quizzes. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for the invitation, Mark and Jason. Um, I'm looking forward to this. It should be a lot of fun. And um, thanks for all the collaboration over all the years as well. Tell me that you guessed it was Dr. Durham. If you didn't, that's fine. I'm just, I'm a fan and she's done a lot of other podcasts with us. She came with a case. Let's jump right into it. 39 week gestation little boy. He was born to a 34 year old mother. So first time mother G1P0. Birth weight. 3,050 grams. The APGAR scores were eight and nine at one and five minutes. No significant prenatal history, some medications mom had been taking. Nothing really significant, but there is one thing. This baby was prenatally diagnosed with tetralogy of Fallot. Maybe we'll just stop there before you tell us more. Cardiology involvement early and them knowing about this baby prenatally is where to start. Yeah, great point, Dr. Frischer. Now remember, Dr. Durham is in Atlanta, Georgia. Whenever a baby in Georgia gets diagnosed with a prenatal cardiac disease, Sibley, that's our group, gets um, gets called pretty early and they get involved. And involvement means going over the echocardiogram, meeting with high-risk OB. This patient's echocardiogram revealed the following. He had a tetralogy flow with a large uh, VSD, bidirectional shunt. Um, they did see moderate pulmonary valve stenosis and, and what they thought was an out, uh, uh, right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. So prenatally, there's already mild right ventricular hypertrophy. I guess of one other note, they, they noticed a very small PDA prenatally. Now, before the pediatric cardiologists get too carried away here, keep in mind, this is a podcast on pediatric colorectal disease. So... Um, at the outside hospital, they realized there was not only a problem with the heart, but they noticed that there was uh, missing anus um, on, on the rest of their physical exam. That's fantastic that they noticed. We're already <laughs> ahead of the game here. Actually, the uh, topic of missed ARM, that's a totally other podcast altogether. Um, you can see a photo now of the newborn baby and the exam. 
scroll down under the media player, click on the first image. I see a male baby with no anal opening. But there is an anal dimple. That means a raised area and a good change in color. Which means there's probably a good sphincter. What else do you see, Dr. Lovett? And then I see these tiny little white beads in the scrotal refe. Now, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you've heard all the episodes, you probably know what we're getting at there. But before we dive too deep into all of these findings, Dr. Fisher had a question. Do you automatically get an echo on every one of your anorectal malformation babies? Let me say that I don't stand in the way when the NICU gets an echo. I, I routinely get them all. I, I do try to stay consistent with all the prenatal screening and make sure I kind of check the box. But keep in mind, you're listening to three pediatric colorectal experts at like major uh, hospital centers. So the reason Dr. Fisher brings it up is because we have international listeners and people with less resources available and it, it could take sometimes moving a mountain to get an echo at some hospitals. So I think a good physical exam and a good listen to the heart with a stethoscope can bypass that need if necessary. All right, let's get back to the image. Dr. Durham, what are the options? Um, with the pearls uh, along the median refe and going up on the scrotum. And then in the picture, you can see a small you know, smear of um, meconium. So you know the lesion that you're dealing with, anorectal malformation lesion you're dealing with is one of the, the less complicated lesions. We know that there is an opening somewhere along that perineal body. So, you know, you could ideally do a primary repair on this patient in the neonatal period. Um, there also would be an option to potentially send the baby home and dilate, but I think most likely primary repair would be the optimal choice. You, you said that's a suboptimal choice in a baby with no cardiac defect, but I think it's important to know how to do that because it might be a good choice in a baby who you don't want to take to the OR. Now, Dr. Durham's hospital takes care of a lot of peds cards patients. So for them, pediatric patients who have an ARM and a really significant cardiac anomaly. An ostomy is probably the standard choice. There's always discussions, but I think that's the standard choice. I think we have to talk about two things. One is, does the baby need to go to the OR? Perhaps if you could dilate this patient, you don't need to go to the OR at all. Let them deal with the heart especially if this is a female patient. There's no rush on a vestibular. There's no rush on a perineal. In a male, the perineal hole isn't always so easy to see, and the dilation is a little bit more dangerous because it's near the urethra. But with care and Hagar dilators, you can definitely get egress of stool and never go to the OR. The second thing he wants to address is that if a patient has a really significant cardiac defect, is creation of a colostomy a less stressful operation than a one-hour mini PSARP for a perineal fistula? Because think about it, then you're saving trips to the operating room, right? Well, here's what Dr. Frischer says. In a cardiac patient that has an external opening from an anorectal malformation, we typically dilate. As long as they're evacuating okay, I think a perineal fistula or a vestibular fistula in a female, one can consider just dilating, making sure you have good evacuation and letting the cardiac situation play itself out. Now, when you're deciding, you know, is it is it dangerous to do a colostomy? Is it dangerous to do, like Dr. Levitt said, a one-hour PSARP? Well, 
my concern would be if you're going to have a significant cardiac lesion that's going to likely require early surgery, you have a blue baby. You're having a lesion that a patient isn't oxygenating well. And then I worry about the healing of that repair. And Dr. Levitt agreed. So I actually don't think there's a need to do a colostomy in a baby like this. You can dilate and then do the repair primarily later. And I don't think the colostomy is any riskier or more or less risky, I should say. All right, let's go through the rest of the Vactoral workup for this patient. And the patient had a, a cross-fused ectopia of the left kidney with a normally positioned right kidney, had a conus at L2. Reminder, that's normal. Now, there is also some reported sacral dysplasia. Um, it does look a bit of a foreshortened sacrum. I think the baby's obviously too young to calculate a sacral ratio. You can look at the image with Dr. Levitt, scroll down under the media player, open up that picture. The VCUG showed a small diverticulum along the right bladder base, otherwise normal. Now, does Dr. Durham always get a VCUG? I do if there's, re if there's renal anomalies. Now, for this particular patient, Dr. Durham decided to move on with colostomy on day of life too. Well, I think we, our preference would have been to dilate, but this baby tended to have significant TET spells. And initially, the cardiologists were expecting to have cardiac repair around six months of age. But every time that they would try to dilate, the baby would cry and then desat down to like the 60s. So we went to the OR and did uh, perform a laparoscopic ostomy and decided to create a, a, a turnable loop ostomy uh, for the baby. And what's the benefit of that? Sort of a 95.5 percentage loop. It behaves like an end. And no one knows except for you that there's another side there. You can do a contrast. They had pediatric cardiac anesthesia there. Uh, the baby already had a pick line, so they didn't need to put an extra venous access. And then for arterial, they, they had an art line to help monitor the baby. Kept the pressure low and just uh, just identify the site and then um, baby tolerated just fine. Can you share with us some tricks you have for a baby like this in laparoscopy? What pressures do you set it at? Where you put your ports? How do you do it quickly? So, yeah, so, I mean, we initially always start out with cardiac babies around a pressure of eight, if we can get away with it. This baby also, because the anus was able to be irrigated, we were able to irrigate the bottom and evacuate some stool, which probably helped keep pressures low. She started at the umbilicus, keeping the pressures low. She found where she wanted to put the ostomy and then strategically placed the ports based on that. I always start on the babies at a flow rate of one. Um, I'm probably a little more uh, slow than others, and I, sometimes I'll increase it. Yeah, if the baby did have an umbilical line of some sort. Maybe go into Palmer's point and, and not access through the umbilicus. That would be another option and do more of a Hassan technique just to get in the belly. Infra-umbilical for sure. Dissecting in with a mosquito, making sure you're in, not touching any vessel before you insufflate, and also clear the line of air. Now, Dr. Frischer wants to emphasize that it is important to irrigate as much as you can. And Dr. Levitt actually has a really interesting technique to help irrigate distally. Looked in laparoscopically as I passed the tube into the distal segment and did the irrigation watching laparoscopically. So then you create a laparoscopic ostomy, which everyone on the call really loves. The baby's doing great. Now we have to continue with you know, watching the heart. Follow-up echoes, the PDA completely closed, the baby 
continue to have hypersynodic spells. And unfortunately, regardless of all of the different maneuvers that they attempted, this baby proved to the team that he needed a heart surgery sooner than later. On day of life five, they went ahead and did an, an emergent petrology flow repair. So the baby did well with the heart surgery. Now what? At what time do you go and do your definitive repair? Um, so this baby actually did really well postoperatively. So they were they gave us the okay to go ahead relatively quickly. So in about three months, they were gonna do a PSARP. But you know, you gotta talk to the family. What did you tell this family relative to future bowel control potential? This baby has a low lesion. So basically just had a closely approximated perineal fistula to the uh, anal muscular complex. So should do really well, talk to the family about sort of what's important for continence, which is sensation in the anal canal and absence of the dentate line. And some other factors that Dr. Levitt has talked about on previous episodes. What's the weight of the spine? What's the weight of the anorectal malformation? What's the weight of the sacrum? And of course, we'll wait until three months to measure the sacral ratio. But I believe one day we'll be able to put these three factors, and perhaps there are other factors too, um, put these three factors into some sort of analysis and say, if you have good surgery, your potential for bowel control is X. Now, we have a lot of episodes about how to do a posterior sagittal and rectal plasty. Go back and listen to those. Here are just a few tips for this case in particular. You did a posterior sure. sagittal and rectal plasty, but you had this fistula along the median raffe. Any tricks of how you dealt with that? Half of the perineal opening was anterior to the muscular complex. So we did actually formally move the entire opening back um, into the, to center it around the anal muscular complex. Did you open up that fistula along the median raffe? No, we, did, we left that alone, sorry, because the, the, the perineal fistula did, it did not extend up into the raffe itself. I've, I've seen teenagers and young adults with those beads that never went away. So yeah, you got to scrape, scrape that off. It's one millimeter deep. Do not dive in and try to no. find that, you know, fistulous tract. It will disappear as provided you have a good anoplasty with a good anterior rectal wall mobilization. You're saying if you have a 50-50, right? Half of perineal, half of the fistula is within the muscle complex. Half is just anterior to the muscle complex. Leave that anterior wall because that's the danger zone. You'll yep. still have a little bit of your anal opening outside the sphincter complex. Mobilize enough posteriorly so that you fill the anal sphincter and then complete it. So you, you become like a 80-20 yeah, in your it's, reconstruction. But if the fistula is completely outside of the sphincteric ellipse, then you have to do a full mobilization. Well, I think this is awesome, Mark. And uh, Megan, great case. Don't worry, we're not gonna leave you without a joke. In fact, this time it comes from our guest. So how is, how is a tapeworm and the uh, Eiffel, Tower, Tire, Eiffel Tower similar? How is a tapeworm and the and Eiffel the Tower similar. Similar. You got me. They're both parasites. Ha! Ah, that's good. That is legitimate and of worth to this podcast because it's as bad as anything else we talk about. Fantastic. <laughs> there you have it. Complex cardiac anomalies in the setting of an anorectal malformation. How do you make those tough clinical decisions? What do you do surgically and non-surgically? 
if you love this episode, if you don't love this episode, whatever, just let us know. Leave a comment, whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Music, or my favorite way, the State Current Pediatric Surgery app. Download it today. You're going to love it. But until then, I'm Rod from Cincinnati Children's. And remember, knowledge should be free. Thank you.